Amen. Have you ever been at a stoplight? Maybe you're jamming out to, to one of your favorite tunes or your favorite radio station. Maybe you're, you're, you're thinking, you're deep in thought. Maybe you're listening to talk radio and somebody's talking about Hillary or Trump and you're fired up about that. But, but maybe you're, you're just sitting there minding your own business. You're a couple cars behind the, the stoplight and the light changes to green and nobody moves. How long does it take before you hate that vehicle who hasn't moved? Not long, right? Like, I think somebody said four or five seconds. That's literally what I had in my notes. It's going to be about four or five seconds of being stuck in one place before all of a sudden your normally mild-mannered, God-loving, Christ-following self has gone to full-blown road rage, right? Why does it bother us so much when somebody doesn't go when they have the opportunity to go? I think we perceive it as somewhat selfish, Whatever's going on in their vehicle, whatever they're looking at on their phone, or whatever conversation they're in, that somehow that's more important than all the cars they have behind them. It bothers us when somebody gets so wrapped up in their own little world that they ignore the needs of the people behind them. And when you're at a stoplight, your need is to go, right? It fires us up. It angers us. I know it does to me. That that person in front of you, they've got the ability to go. They've got the opportunity to go. Now they've got the signal, the green light to go, and yet they don't move. And thankfully for most of us, that doesn't last much longer than four or five seconds because we're honking the horn. We're giving them a thumbs up or maybe a different finger. We're giving them a signal of some sort, right? But when somebody has the audacity to stay frozen when it's time to go, it bothers us. So We're kicking off this brand new series today called go go this this little bitty insignificant seeming two letter word it's fact packed full of potential purpose and power it's a word we're all completely familiar with coming from a passage that most of us are very familiar with and yet i wonder how many of us if we were to be real honest today if we were to go to starbucks after service and sit across the table face-to-face, knee-to-knee, how many of us would honestly say, I'm good at this. I'm intentional about this. I walk this out on a regular basis. Now, none of us are perfect, and God's not calling us to perfection, but he is calling us to go. How many of us are answering his call? Despite our, our comfort with the term, despite our awareness of the passage, I'm afraid that many Christ-loving people are not following through with this. So today, my prayer is that we would become awakened to the importance and the implications of the word go. So what do we mean when we say go? There's at least two implications I want us to unpack for just a moment today. The first implication of go is that go requires action, right? Go requires movement. Go go requires us to, to not be passive. In other words, go doesn't happen by accident, right? Go happens by, by, by putting your foot on the gas pedal and taking it off the brake. Go happens by, by getting up, by moving towards somebody, by getting into someone's life, by being intentional. Go doesn't just happen. It happens when we make it happen. It's an action word. It's an active word. It's a word that requires us to take ownership of it. We don't suddenly 
give our life to Jesus. We don't raise our hand in a service or, or pray a prayer in a home and become a Christian. And all of a sudden, we just automatically go. The Holy Spirit isn't deposited in us and, and, he, and, and take possession of us and makes us go. He's deposited in us and empowers us to go. He's the engine in the car. But we've still got to hit the gas. So it's action required for us. We've been given the ability, but we've still been given the option. The second implication of go is it's not just require, uh, a word that requires action, but go means start. Right? Every little kid, what, three, four years old, learns very early on that red means stop and green means go. When God, when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. When he says that, he is giving them the green light. He's saying, it's time to start. The opportunity is at hand. Christian, today, I need you to hear me on this. God has given you a green light to share your faith. God has given you a green light to invade someone's world, to intentionally get to know someone, to intentionally love someone, to intentionally start praying for someone. He's given you the green light to go. What an awesome, awesome thing. I'm so glad that that, that we don't serve a God who says, one day, you're going to be good enough. I'm going to take you through four years of college and two years of seminary. And, and one day, you're going to go through enough discipleship, and you're going to memorize enough verses. One day, you're going to be a member of a church long enough, and you're going to have done all the things that's required of you, and then you can go. He says, you're a part of my family. You wear my name. Therefore, go and make disciples that's not to say that training isn't important that's not to say that schooling isn't important that isn't to say that as we go we're not learning and developing our gifts and studying and getting closer to God we should absolutely do that the more that we learn the faster we're going to be able to go the further we're going to be able to go the greater the impact we're going to be able to make but Jesus has given you the green light if you're a believer in Jesus if his Holy Spirit lives inside of you I need you to know today he's given you the opportunity to start He's asking you and and commanding you to take action, to get moving. Every child knows, on your marks, get set. Let's try it again. On your marks, get set. Right? Every kid knows this. What does go do? Go is the signal that releases you. You see, on your marks means freeze, right? Get set means I'm tensed up. I'm I'm waiting for a signal. I'm waiting to be released. But go takes the leash off. Go, Go opens the gate and says, now you can run as far and as fast and as hard as you possibly can to the goal set before you. So what is the goal of go? The goal is reaching the lost. The goal is making disciples. See, it's not just getting people saved and abandoning them and moving on to the next. It's, it's bringing people closer to God along the way. It's discipling them. It's teaching them how to be more like Jesus, how to follow the way of the master. You see, discipleship isn't complete until the disciple is ready to make disciples. That's the process. Disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And God has commanded us. He's invited us. He's telling us. To go. we got to get started. It's intentional. It requires action. It will not just happen. I told you to turn to Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, we see one of 
my absolute favorite passages of Scripture. In fact, if today's message speaks to you, I'd encourage you to go back on the City Church OB website. We've got all our podcasts listed there, and we've got a whole series we did uh, a couple summers ago on Gideon called the 300 series, Um, and I I just love this story. I love the implications of it so much, but I want to draw your attention to, to one key part of this story today. In Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Let, let me just talk about the angel of the Lord here very quickly. Bible scholars believe, because of the way that this angel is referred to a little later on in the passage, that this isn't just an angel. Which, by the way, the word angel literally means messenger. So this is the messenger of the Lord. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean a, a celestial being, although in most cases we, we, think, we think of the cherubim and, and different things. But that, that's literally what the word means. It's the messenger of God. And later on it's going to refer to him actually as the Lord himself. There are a few places in the Old Testament where we see what we call theophanies, places where Jesus himself shows up in Scripture, where it's what we call the pre-incarnate Christ. Before he came as a baby, before he showed up and lived 33 years on earth and died for our sins, he, he would pop up here and there to encourage people, to represent his Father, to invade our world. And so most Bible scholars believe this is one of those theophanies. I believe This is one of those theophanies. I believe that Gideon is actually talking to Jesus. Whether you believe that or not, he's talking to a representative from God. He's talking to a messenger from God in this passage. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon, so Joash's son Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So what's going on here is that there's a neighboring nation called Midian. And Midian has invaded Israel. They they are oppressing Israel. They're coming in. They're stealing their crops. They're taking their livestock to to the point that Joash now is is not even threshing wheat the way you're supposed to thresh it. He's in a wine press so he can get down. He can hide in such a way as to prevent the Midianites from coming and stealing his food. So he's cowering. He's scared. Verse 12 says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, he being the angel, says, The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody's discouraged today. Somebody feels worthless today. Somebody's cowering in fear from the attack the enemy is bringing in your life today. And you need to know the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you say, I'm not a mighty warrior. That's not for me. Well, neither was Gideon. We're going to see that in just a minute. But God saw something in him that Gideon didn't see. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, verse 13. But if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? You ever ask that question? If God is with me, why am I going through this? If God is with me, why why are we suffering like this? If God is with me, why, why have I ended up in this place? Where are all his wonders that made our ancestors, or that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I think it's fair for us to say, Gideon was not in a good place. Uh, Gideon was depressed. He was discouraged. He was scared. His faith was low. He doesn't believe that God doesn't exist. He's not denying God's existence, but he's at a place where he's denying God's assistance. You're not helping us. You're not with us. You've abandoned us, God. And I think if we're honest, most of us have been in a place where we felt that way at some point. In time, What I want you to see today is how God responds in the midst of Gideon's depression. 
how God responds in the midst of Gideon's fear, in the midst of Gideon's doubt, in the midst of Gideon's situation. Verse 14, the Lord, Jesus turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? If you've got your Bible, I want you to circle the phrase, go in the strength you have. He says, go in the strength you have. He doesn't even address Gideon's complaint. You ever realize that? Sometimes God doesn't seem to address our complaints. Sometimes God just moves on to the next thing and says, I know I'm here with you. I don't need to affirm that. I don't need to declare that. I'm just going to demonstrate it. So go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. This is the guy who doesn't have enough strength to, to, to thresh his wheat standing up. He's got to cower down and hide as he's putting this together. And God says, you need to go in the strength you have and save Israel from Midian. The Midianite army, many Bible scholars believe, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 500,000 men. Israel, as you'll find later on in the story, raises up an army of about 30,000. And God says that's too much. But that was all they could muster. Uh, They end up with just 300 as God winnows them down. But God says, go in the strength that you have. In verse 15, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. Isn't that funny? He says that twice. Pardon me, my Lord. It's a funny phrase. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh was a tribe of Israel. Actually, it was a half-tribe of Israel. Um, and he says, and then I am the least in my family. So my family's the lowest of the low, and I'm the lowest in my family. My family has no honor, has no respect. My family has no rep- reputation. Nobody looks at us as anybody important. And not only is my family not important, but even in my own family, I'm at the bottom. Uh, He's saying, I'm the last possible person who you should ask to do this, God. I'm the weakest person in this entire country. I am the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the totem pole. And you think, I'm going to save Israel? God, you got the wrong dude. You are having the wrong conversation. You need to look somewhere else. Notice what Gideon doesn't say. He doesn't say, no, God, we don't need to be saved. He knows Israel needs to be saved. He doesn't say, you're overestimating the problem here, Jesus. Uh, our people, we're going to be fine. We're going to get used to it. We're gonna, it's going to take a little while for us to adjust, but, but we're going to be okay. No, Gideon agrees with God's analysis of the problem. We need a Savior. He agrees with God's decision to save Israel. He just doesn't agree with God's selection of who is going to do it. See, I'm convinced that most of us agree with the Great Commission. Yes, the church needs to go. God's people need to go. We need to get into the world. We need to reach the lost. We need to love on somebody. Almost all of us, if we're Christians and the Holy Spirit lives in us, there's a part of us that leaps at the possibility of seeing people come to Jesus. The reason why we don't go is because we think God's got the wrong plan. The reason we don't go is we think God has the wrong man. It's not for me. I'm not good enough. I I don't know enough scripture, God. I'm not gifted enough. I don't know how to talk to somebody. I don't have the influence. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. We have all these reasons why God is is, is not for me. Man, there's somebody better. Look at at that lady over there. She, she gets it. She hears from God. Let's send her. I'll even help her. I'll get behind her. I'll cheer for her. I'll pray for her. Why don't you send her? See, the reason... Why we don't go is not because we question God's plan. It's because we question God's man. It's not me. I'm 
good enough. I think so many of us can see ourselves in Gideon. I'm convinced that, that it's not just because we're selfish that we don't go. It's not just because we value our comfort over God's commission that we don't go. It's not just because we don't love the lost enough that we don't go. It's because we don't believe in ourselves enough that we don't go. Gideon says, who? Me? We got to have somebody else. And I love what God says to him in verse 14. This is the, the encouragement that I believe that the Lord has for his people today. This is the word of God today for the 19 of you who are going to Los Angeles this week. But not just for you. This is the word of God today for the other 140 or so people who will call this church home, who are going to ball practice this week, who are going to work this week, who, who, who are going to watch a child this week, who, who are going to prepare for school this week. Wherever you're going, I believe this is the word of God for you today and this week and this year and throughout your life, and that is this, and I want you to write it down. Go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Don't, don't, don't look at all the stuff you don't have. Gideon focused on who he wasn't. He focused on the respect he didn't have, on the influence he didn't have, on the leadership skills he didn't have. He had a whole list of reasons why he was the wrong guy, but God said to him, go. I believe he says the same thing to us today. And instead of looking at all the reasons why we're not good enough, all the reasons why God should choose somebody else, it's time that we started looking at the fact that Jesus chose us. He says, you are the hope of the world. You are the one to carry my message. You are the one I'm asking to go. Go in the strength you have. Time and time again in Scripture, we see God call someone to great things, to amazing things, and, and their response is just like Gideon. Who, me? I'm not good enough. God tells Moses to, to, to go rescue his people from slavery in Egypt, and Moses' response is, I don't speak well enough. I, I stutter. I'm the last person who could stand before the Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go. He disqualifies himself immediately. God tells Abraham, you're going to have a child, and that child is who I'm going to bring the Savior of the world through. I'm going to create my people to declare my goodness to the world through the Son. And, and Abraham laughs and says, God, I don't know if you forgot, but I'm 100 years old, and my wife's 90. And she ain't had a kid in 90 years. I think the expiration date has passed. It's not happening. You ever laughed at God's call before? Yeah, that's a good one, God. Not me. You got the wrong person. Time and again we see this. The disciples, the 12 men who, who Jesus selected to follow him, to watch him do all these miracles, who saw up close and personal the power of God in a way that, that we can only imagine Jesus says, hey, I want you to feed these 5,000 people. And what's their response? Dude, we only got five little loaves of bread and two fish. We can't even feed ourselves. How are we going to feed all these people? Time and again, God's people, when God calls them to something, we look at what we lack and we forget what we have. You see, the thing we have is greater than the thing we lack because the thing we have is the power of God. The thing we have is the Holy Spirit living in us. The thing we have is a commission from Jesus Christ, a green light to go. And that's so much greater than whatever thing you think you don't have. Go in the strength 
you have. We're so good at finding all the reasons why God couldn't use us. God, I'm not smart enough. God, God I, I'm, I'm too busy right now. God, I, I just don't have what it takes. God, I tried that one time and I made a fool of myself. God, I can't. God, I don't. God, I need. God, there's not enough. God, 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 we've got all the excuses in the world why we can't go. And we've got a God in heaven who looks us in the eye and says, I know every single thing you lack, and I picked you anyway. Go in the strength that you have. David went to fight the giant, Goliath, and the strength that he had. You see, there was a king named Saul who was much taller than David and older than David and an accomplished warrior unlike David. And Saul said, well, if you're going to go fight the giant, you're going to need some armor, so here, take mine. And David puts on Saul's armor and picks up Saul's sword and, and looks like a little kid trying to wear daddy's clothes and realizes this ain't going to work. This is awkward. This is uncomfortable. This isn't me. Saul, your strength is not my strength. And if God's sending me to kill this giant, I can't kill this giant in your armor. I can't kill this giant in your strength. I can't kill this giant in your anointing. I can only kill him in mine. So David takes off Saul's armor, and he goes out to the creek, and he picks up five little smooth stones, and he grabs his sling, and he says, this is the strength I have. I don't care who laughs at me. I don't care who mocks me. I don't care who thinks that I'm just a little kid who doesn't know what he's doing. God's called me to kill this giant. He's equipped me to kill this giant. He's gifted me to kill this giant. And daggum, I'm going to kill this giant. Go in the strength you have. What what has God placed in you? Maybe your strength is you've got an incredible gift for hospitality, and you just love to have people over. You love to throw parties, man. There is a way for that gift to grow God's kingdom. Maybe your gift is you're just extremely handy, and you can fix anything, and praise Jesus for people like you because I can't. There's a way for you to use that gift to build God's kingdom. There's a single mom somewhere who's struggling to make it, and she just needs somebody to show up and say, let me help you fix this air conditioning unit. Let me help you change your oil. Let me come alongside you and make this thing happen. And in the midst of it, you get to show her the love of Jesus. Maybe your gift is different. Maybe you've got a gift for humor. Maybe you've got a gift for cooking. Praise Jesus for people like you too. Hallelujah. Man, there's gifts all through. And so many times we look and say, well, I can't preach. I can't lead worship. I can't do this and I can't do that. So therefore, I'm not useful. And that is a lie from Satan. Jesus says, go in the strength you have. Don't try to be your pastor. Don't try to be your youth pastor. Don't try to be the kids director. Don't try to be the worship leader. Just be you and let me shine through. Go in the strength that you have, and I will touch the world through you. Maybe your strength is something totally different than anything I've listed. Maybe you don't even know it yet. Maybe you you just need to start at this point and ask God, God, what is my strength? Because I'm not sure. You've got one. It's in there. God made you with something. He put something in you to show the world his glory through you. And maybe you just need to start asking him, God, what's my strength? But it's there. And he says, go. And so I'm not saying to wait until you find it to go. I'm saying to step out in faith even before you know what it is and start trying. And maybe it'll be a little awkward and maybe you'll make a misstep here or there. But along the way, as you go, the Holy Spirit's going to put his finger on something and say, this is it. This is your opportunity. 
This is your passion. This is your gift. This is your strength. Now take it and run with it as far and as fast as you can. Go in the strength that you have. It's time for God's people to take our eyes off what we can't do and put our eyes on what God can do. It's time for God's people to to stop sitting at the green light and letting so many other people be affected by our inactivity, by our unfaithfulness, by our distractedness. It's time for God's people to step out in faith and put our foot on that gas pedal and see where this thing can actually take us. It's time for God's people to go. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That command is for you, it's for me, it's for the person sitting next to you, it's for all of us who call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. So let's go. Let's go in the strength we have. This week is more inspirational, more motivational. Next week, Vince is going to be bringing his first Sunday morning message. You better be here for it. You better support this man. You better come bring a notepad and a pen and come ready to hear from God because he's going to bring it. I've already heard his message, and I can guarantee you you're going to enjoy it. He's going to be a lot more practical. He's going to dive into to how do we evangelize? How do we reach people? What are some steps we can physically take? Today, my, my goal is not so much to be practical as it is to just open your eyes to the possibility, in fact, the probability, in fact, the truth that this command is for you. Jesus says go. Will we say yes? That's the question.